RadioInfluence.com. Welcome to another edition of the Real Animals Podcast. Real Animals Podcast is presented by Contender Boats. Today we've got a really special guest. Uh, he is the co-founder of Major League Fishing. He is a Bassmaster Classic champion, $1.7 million in career earnings. Uh, he is Boyd Duckett with Duckett Fishing. Boyd, how are you today, buddy? Man, everything is going okay, I guess. You know, kind of a kind of a funky time, you know, with this virus we're all fighting, but uh, outside of that, life's decent up here at Duck Fishing. I hear you, I hear you. So, I, in order, I, I don't even know how we would start a podcast with you um, without going to, you know, try to find out how Boyd Duckett becomes Boyd Duckett. I mean, anybody that follows fishing, everybody knows the Duckett name. You've, you've had a phenomenal career. You've done so many great things. Uh, how does how does this all start for Boyd Duckett? Well, goodness, uh, you know the I have I guess you go back to the beginning. I grew up fishing as a kid, and and it was always something that was very special, near and dear to me. Um, unlike a lot of the other guys whose careers maybe started earlier. I have also worked my whole life and I've enjoyed that as well. I, it's uh, pr- pretty well known. You know, I, I've been in many different industries and had businesses in many different industries and generally have had more than one company simultaneously. So I've, I enjoy having a ton going on, glutton for punishment, I guess, whatever you want to say. <laughs> but, but, but the consistent thing in my life, uh, I started traveling when I was 17 years old. I grew up uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And, uh, and so since I was 17, I wasn't very good at it, but I was fishing the Jerry Rhines fisherman's bass circuit. It was Southeast trail. I remember the first time, you know, and I hadn't been anywhere. I, I had a body shop was the business that I had at the time in Charlotte and, uh, and started, you know, going places I'd never been in tournament fishing, man, starting the process. So that was 1977. So from then on, with all of the changes in my life, in business careers and different industries that I've been in, kind of the consistent uh, grounding, so to speak, for me has been tournament fish. So mm. fast forward because it's a long, <laughs> long drawn out story. So you'll fast forward to recent years. It's been one of the things that I have enjoyed so much recently is uh, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, you know, have had uh, economic success to be able to make choices as to where I work and where I spend my time. And I still love working. Uh, you talk to anybody, I'm going all the time. You know, you park me for four hours and my palms are sweating. You know, I, I got to go. <laughs> I got to have something to do. So, uh, but, but I have converted to this industry that I have loved since I was a kid. So, so what's, fishing has done for me though. I still work hard and, and, uh, you know, got plenty of stressful days, but they don't seem like it because I'm in the fishing industry today, you know, with the exception of some real estate development that I do, the rest of my companies and interests, major league fishing and, and ducket fishing and ducket Marine, obviously my, my professional career, uh, you know, the, the, uh, acquisition of FLW last year, you know, all of these, all of this time now is in the fishing business, which is 
cool for me. Wouldn't be good for everybody, but for me, with a lifetime passion for tournament fishing, to be able to work in it at all levels and be part of it is uh, is a lot of fun. I'm I'm very happy. I'm in a happy place <laughs> where I am right now. So <laughs> so that's the tell quick, me a little the quick bit, scenario of all that. Tell me a little bit about how it feels to win the Bassmaster Classic. Because, you know, to a lot of us, that's just, I mean, that's, it's the, it's the classic. We don't even, most people don't even call it the Bassmaster Classic. You just call it the classic and everybody in the fishing world knows what, what, what tournament we're talking about. And I think once your name is attached to Bassmaster Classic champion, uh, it just seems to elevate those people in kind of a special way. What, what did it mean to you to win the classic? Well, I'm probably uh, I probably probably represent the 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 weekend angler as strongly. I say that uh, in in the sense that think of all the years that I competed and worked. That's what most people do. Fishing is not their primary income, and for me, even even when I was fishing, you know, FLW tour and and then the Everstart series and the Bassmaster opens and then eventually the elite series it wasn't till I was 45 that I was able to say this is going to be my primary focus now I never didn't have a company and another job but I but I at that age I made a personal commitment when I uh, turned 45 to uh, which was 2005 to be able to uh, take whatever amount of time needed. I'm not saying I did it as good as I could have, but, but it was different than work comes first and fishing is secondary. Fishing became first. I, I wanted that and I was in a position to do that. So then, uh, within two years, I fished the tours kind of as a full time pro, a bunch of events. And, uh, and then of course, you know, won the classic in seven. So from, Go back to 1977 when I first started leaving my home lakes, you know, and and traveling to lakes and fishing. The classic was the deal. It, it's it's Augusta National. It's the right. branded championship. You know, it's the it's yeah. the deal. So so I'm like everyone. It's just I finally got there on a long road that uh, that that got me, you know, to be able to fish it, and then fortunate enough to put a good week together and and win the event. And it is very, it's kind of, I don't know, I guess if you climb Mount Everest and it takes 10 days, at some point you're going to get to the peak and take a deep breath and you will have, and you'll look down and you will have done it. Didn't change your life permanently, but it creates a space in your life, especially if your track is as long as mine was. I mean, think about the (laughs) years of tournament fishing from 1977 to 2007. I mean, you know, that's right. 30 years of tournament fishing. And so you get to sit on that mountain for just a minute. <laughs> it's not long enough, uh, <laughs> but it is very, it is very satisfying. Just like, you know, we all want to be rewarded at what's most important for us to be good at. And and for those of us that fish and, and compete competitively fish, <clears throat> you know, we fish to have the opportunity to win uh, and, and enjoy the, you know, that day and it's relative. One other thing, if I may, I'm slightly off topic, but back during, you know, seven, eight, and and I had a good run with other one other events through that time process. And I was, that was my heaviest 
had the ability to focus on fishing the longest time period. Now we had a recession that started in 10, which kind of changed it for me because I had several large companies operating that were stumbling badly in 2010, 11, 12. So I didn't get as long a run, uh, you know, with that full time, full energy as I would have liked to have. But I will say this, having gone from being 17 and never got a check to winning the classic through that whole process, uh, I realized that life is very relative. I also have learned that from a working perspective and a financial perspective. So what I mean by that is uh, bass fishing is unique in that if you spend your life fishing club events and you win your angler of the year, that special year that all your events got put together, that that is a big accomplishment. It's not lesser than. I'm not taking anything away from the classic. But I am saying that having lived through this whole process, that was was my highest accomplishment at the time. But I can tell you that uh, I moved to Nashville when I was 22, and I was tournament fishing every weekend, every chance I got. And I remember winning a big local open on Percy Priest against the best guys there at a very young age. And I had established my, and I remember that win being equally as impactful. And that's not to diminish. I don't mean that any, what I'm trying to say is that I put all those years and at that point, that be, that was a big deal. I mean, for a ton of your listeners, if you fished for years and years, there's some event on your home lake that has the very best anglers there are at that home lake, and it's a tough field. And one day to beat them all and be the champion is a big accomplishment. So, so that was one of the things that post classic I realized is that there have been many classics in my life, and 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 so that was that was you know the one for that era. But it certainly doesn't take away from the way I felt when I won that that first major event and my skill set, my time and energy, and trying to become the best pro possible. But when I won that event in the early 80s, you know, at Percy Priest, that was also a giant win. Yeah, so I get that. That's a real, yeah, that's a really, uh, that's a neat perspective. That's a neat way of looking at that, you know, and as you were talking through that, I was thinking to myself, being on the saltwater side, like I am, you see so many guys who they want it to happen really, really fast. I don't, and and I just don't think it's that possible. You know, when you were talking about, you know, 30 years fishing your tail off for years and years and years to get to that point, I just think, you know, I, I see guys that, that dive in and their their energy, they're they're so focused on it, they have so much love for it, they just they, you know, but it's it's a tough it's a tough process. And I'm not sure that people understand how much work and how much time and how many things actually have to come together. You know, and, and I'm sure you know as well as anybody how much talent there is out there. I mean, there's a lot of really great fishermen i remember when i first started there there is there's so many great fishermen you know i I was it was 20 years ago now i've been i've been guiding here in the tampa bay area for 20 years and 
the very first event that I got to do, the very first celebrity event that I got invited to, um, I was fishing for another engine company at the time, and uh, they had a media day. And I got invited to the media day, and I showed up. I went and caught bait, and I showed up, and I drew Shaw Grigsby as my celebrity for media day. And I remember I could hardly breathe. I really, I was like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. no pressure. Yeah. I mean, he's Shaw Grigsby. This is crazy. Yeah. And I remember one of my buddies who who helped me get into the business and, and who was a little older than I was, he laughed. He was like, dude, relax. Just find fish and Shaw will catch them. He will catch them. Uh, and I remember yeah. spending the whole, and I remember spending the whole day just in awe of his, you know, his abilities, his, you know, his placement of his, of his baits, his casting, his, he'd be looking at me, having a conversation, looking at the people on the boat, having a conversation to make the most pinpoint perfect cast. And I remember thinking to myself, good, good God, this guy is ridiculously talented. Um, so I, and I think that I, I don't know that people understand how hard it is to win. When I look at your career, Boyd, 24 top 10s and 42 top 20s, that's incredibly consistent you know, I mean, and to me, that was, I fished the Redfish Pro Tournament Trail for about 10 years, pretty, pretty hard, um, still working and doing some other stuff and guiding some and all that stuff. But I fished it pretty hard. And, and I always say that the best year I ever had, I never won a big event. Um, I won a pro-am here and there, and I did some small events against some good fields, Um but I never won one of the big titles. I top fived and, you know, we had cameras on the boat for the third day and I was part of some of that. Um, a lot of top tens. My favorite season, the season I thought I did the best, I never finished a tournament outside the top 20. I think we fished, I fished 12 events or something that year. And I top 20. The whole, well, that's what I, at the end of the year, I sat back and I thought, you know what? I can't believe I spent another year on tour and I didn't win one. But as I look back at this tournament place, you know, 15th and 10th and 16th and 9th, and, and, I, and I put it all together and I sat back at the end of the year and I thought, that's probably the best year of fishing I ever did. Because how many times do you hit the water and what you, your, your original A plan has gone south overnight? The wind did something it wasn't supposed to do. The temperature dropped. Yeah. You know, the front came in a day early and boogered this up and boogered that up. So things change. Um, so to me, how do you? I mean, how do you tell people? How do you get that kind of consistency, Boyd? Well, that's obviously. If I could tell you that in in twenty minutes, then then I could get paid a lot from anglers across the nation. So, so it's tough, but, but there are some basics to that. The first thing, uh, and, uh, back when I, you know, in, in, uh, I don't do much of it anymore because I'm so busy with all the tournament businesses, but I used to really enjoy, enjoy doing term tournament level seminars and with, for groups that, you know, paid seminars and, and people that wanted to, they, they were serious enough that they wanted to take their game to the highest level. So if you went to a golf clinic, so to speak, there in Tampa, yeah. how many of those individuals that signed up for the golf clinic really want to play on the PGA Tour? That's the first question. And the second question is how many of them are willing to do the work it takes to play on the PGA Tour? 
so bass fishing is no different than anything else I have accomplished in my life. It's the same path. And it's exactly what I just told you. You take a bunch of high school kids or college kids at a golf camp, at a country club in Tampa, there is a very low chance that any of them will play on the PGA tour because there's a very low chance that any of them are willing to work hard enough to get there. Same thing with football or baseball or, you know, or basketball. So, so the first thing for someone that is serious about going to the next level or their highest potential level, and you have to realize that all men are not created equal. Hate to tell you that. I know we told all the kids that when they were young, (laughs) but, but Michael Jordan is not the same person as his neighbor. They were not created equally. And Kevin Van Dam uh, and Jacob Wheeler are not created equally. Right. And you and you're up against that when you move to these levels. So you have to realize that you're going to pick. You have to find the strength, your natural strengths in in this sport of bass fishing, and try to exploit those strengths against others that have other natural strengths. But just like we know from all sports, those that work the hardest, uh, you know, like during my era, you know, I'm getting to be an old guy today, but you know, and that's why I bring up Michael Jordan instead of LeBron James, I guess. <laughs> but, but, but I, I read a book that, that Dean Smith wrote coach at university of North Carolina where Michael Jordan played. And it, and it's interesting because his perspective, this was years later was that Michael Jordan was, an average athlete at the university of North Carolina. He was not athletically advanced. He was mentally advanced. He was the first guy to practice the last guy to leave and worked harder than the rest of the team. You know, you don't expect to hear that about you. You expect he's just a naturally, you know, uh, natural born, uh, super athletic, individual that can do things no other man on earth can do, but it was from his workload and not his God-given gift. Right. That's an interesting perspective. I remember Bobby Knight. uh, I read a a quote from Bobby Knight before Michael, because I think Bobby coached him on the Olympic team the summer before he got drafted. And I want to say that's when, when Bobby, when Bobby said, if you take everything, that Michael has, his athletic ability, his desire to beat you, and his willingness to work and put all of those things together, he's the greatest basketball player I've ever seen. Because mm. of those three things, not because he was the most athletic, he was athletic, obviously, right. mm. but yeah, he's not the most athletic guy on the floor, but because he's, he is unwilling to let you beat him and he will outwork you. Combine all that with his athletic ability, and he's just a freak. So I, I see that yep. making sense. Now you've spent some time with Van Dam. Is that a Van Dam quality? Is Kevin the same way? Just because he's one of the most amazing stories to me ever. Because I remember yep. my father. My father retired from Mercury Outboards in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. I was born and raised in Wisconsin. Uh-huh. My father. I remember my father coming home, and I, I can't remember what year it was, but I was. I had I, I maybe I was I might not have been at home I might have been gone 
So I don't know the year, but I remember my father, he either called me or came home and he was like, you are not going to believe who I walked around the plant today. And I'm like, he was just all excited, giddy, like a little kid. I'm like, I don't know who dad, I'm, what are you, what are we talking about? He was like, Kevin Van Dam was at the mercury plant today. And I was the one they chose to walk him all around and show him everything. <laughs> he was yeah. so excited. Yeah, cool. He couldn't even breathe. Yeah, cool, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And and so to me, you know, to ca- have Kevin still competitive today, because that was a long time ago, I'm I'm probably, yeah. I mean, you, you and your Michael Jordan references are in line with my age group as well, Dean Smith and that whole thing. I was, I was wearing Air Jordans in high school, so I was a huge, yeah. I grew up in that time frame as well. Um, you know, to be so good for so long, to me, is ridiculous i mean it's it's hard enough to get there and do it but to stay at that level the way kevin has is pretty impressive yeah it's the most impressive definitely is his consistency he's a very special person he's very competitive he's he's really smart kevin is one of the guys that recognized and he has unbelievable physical skills so i want to skip that part because that's the automatic response everybody's looking for, you know, he can work a jerk bay better. He's, he's got more fishing knowledge, but, but Kevin recognized early that professional bass fishing and golf the same way. I used to play a ton of golf competitively when I was younger. And, you know, they say it's 90% mental, whatever that phrase is. If golf is 90% mental, bass fishing is 91 (laughs) because it's all decisions. You talked about you talked about your redfish uh, events and all those changes that take place. And, and so, and if I, one of the ways that I explain that to tournament anglers are all of their practice days that they catch them so well, you know, you know, with not tournament day, but practice day right. when you <laughs> yeah. roll around the lake and you don't care that the wind blew out your, the bank that you left the boat ramp to go fish, you just go catch them somewhere else. And, right. and because you're open-minded, you, you're receiving and, and you have natural intuition, the more time you spend on the water, the more you work on your skill set, that becomes a combination. But it's those mental choices that win and lose tournaments. It is not physical skill set, I promise you. Uh, I've, I've lived through that entire curve. And so once <laughs> right. you recognize that, well, Kevin is as good as I've ever seen. His confidence level in himself if if his best water is blown out, he'll just jerk his trolling motor up with zero negative impact from that and say, I'm just going to go over here and catch him. And he does. <laughs> and if that doesn't work, I'll just go down there and catch him. And he does. <laughs> and, and so that's what is so special about that angler. And he's been able to do that so long. And it gets harder. Uh, you know, pro- professional bass fishing is a young man's sport. It, it's hard on sure. the older guys. Tournament one of the fishing in general. It, yeah. Tournament fishing, not, yeah, I say bass fishing, tournament fishing. Yeah, but yeah. Across the board. yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely. Yeah. Be, because of, and part of it is because of fatigue, which which contributes you to not making uh, good, uh, good mental decisions. You lose your positive momentum, your positive mental momentum. When you're tired, it's hard to achieve that, you know. And uh, that's... Uh, you know, 
that's what it's all about. But Kevin's as good at, at, at that decision-making process as anybody I've ever seen. And that is a learned skill. That is a yeah, that's really and learned skill. Yeah, it's really impressive to me. Like I said, so many years of doing it at that level. Uh, I've talked about it on the radio shows many times. For him to do that consistently still today is mind-boggling. I remember when I first started fishing the tour, the redfish tour now on the saltwater side, my uncle Bill, uh, Bill Klutzbeaker, had won the PWT, the Pro Walleye Tournament Trail, they had won it four times. Him and his partner, Gary Gray, when they won it, when they first won it back-to-back, nobody had ever won it twice. And they won it one time back-to-back. And so I called him for, you know, guidance. And and on the saltwater side, it was a two-man it was a two-man deal, just like the walleye tour was for my uncle. Um, obviously, a little different than, than the way we see bass fishing today. Um, but, you know, he told me two things that I thought were really interesting. He said, number one, and for, for most important, you got to have the right partner. He said, because it's going to become it's going to become like you have a wife. You are going to spend so much time with that person if you're if you're going to be successful, that you better be able to get along. Even when you're mad at one another, you better be able to get along. You better be able to pull it together. He also said, the one thing that they always lived by that I and I thought I found this interesting. He said, if if you put your plan together the day before the tournament and you're going to fish a spot until eleven thirty. And at 11.30, you're going to leave that spot, and you're going to go to this spot. At 11.30, at 11.28, if you catch a fish at that 11.30 spot, you know what you do at 11.30? You leave because that was your plan. He said the worst thing you can do is alter your plan. Whatever your plan was, believe in it and stay with it. There's a reason you wanted to be at that next spot. It's a 15-minute run. You wanted to be there by quarter to 12. Leave that spot at 1130. Even if you catch a stud at 1128, pull up and leave. Does that? Does any of that ring true on the bass side? If you have the – that's a great position to be in. And, and I would say it definitely does because – you're calm when you make the decisions about your game plan, okay? And as long as your game plan is working, you can't be emotionally you, – you, you can't get too emotional about that game plan, which is the same thing you're saying. The only exception is if it's not working. So, But that's also a plan that can be put in place the night before when you're in the motel room or whatever planning. Right. Uh, yeah. So what, what I like to do for comfort to help me stay mentally comfortable is I try to give myself minimums where that, you know, that starting hole is worth your hour and a half that you have assigned. And that's a well thought out choice unless it doesn't work. So I look at minimum weights for, for, for me or, or minimum counts, you know, in major league fishing today or whatever. So, so that you're tracking. And as long as you're tracking success, you're exactly right. You don't want to go off and make bad, you know, emotional decisions that you, that after you've got a well thought out plan, assuming the plan is working. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. So much, uh, I'm sure we could talk for hours about the tournament, the tournament side of, of fishing and the thought process, but we, we would be, 
silly not to jump into major league fishing. Let's. I want to go back to the beginning, and I know that major league fishing is is a huge success. Uh, and congratulations on all that because it's uh, it's entertaining, it's exciting. I know when when the news broke, um, and and I'm not a freshwater guy. I'm a saltwater guy. Um, I have a lot of friends that uh, and some that fish the major league fishing tour. Um, and I remember the buzz around all of them. I remember the, it, it, it I don't want to say it was anxiety, but it was this, uh, this excitement that everybody kind of had as they were starting to talk about it. Talk me through that process, Boyd. How does, I mean, how do you come up with this incredible, I mean, it just is, it seems to be just taking the bass fishing world by storm. You've got to be so proud of where you are already. Um, you know, t- tell the listeners how this came about. Well, it, it goes back to myself and Gary Klein uh, talking about, and Gary Klein, who, who I, is, is an unbelievable individual, think the world of him as an individual, but as a professional bass angler, he's one of the few guys from the early days. You know, He also started competing uh, professionally at 17 years old. It's the only job he's ever had. Never done anything wow. but catch a bass. Isn't that awesome? You know, his whole life, you know, and Gary's 62 now or whatever. So, so early <laughs> on, there about being blessed. Hand. yeah, yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah that's awesome, a blessing. Awesome there. Life. Wow. Yeah. yeah okay. And has done very well with it, obviously. So, <clears throat> but, uh, but I, I had a dream of showcasing a lot of what you and I had talked about 10 years ago when this, when this was being kicked around, um, and, you know, and we were both. Uh, you know, we were kind of, kind of peak in our careers, so to speak, and, and had coming through, you know, wins and, and titles and all of those things. It became obvious to me, and this is the businessman side of me that's never been out. Everything I look at, I can't help but look at from a perspective of, you know, can, can we do this better and, and how could this business improve? And for a sport that I love so much, the the vast majority of the population didn't see Kevin Van Dam as Michael Jordan because we had never offered it. They had never been exposed to his talent. And, and of course you and I know, and those of us that are very close to the sport know that there's that big a difference between the average angler and the Anna, Anna Van Dam using him as an example. There's a bunch of great guys, but we were talking about him. So I'll use him. And so that was, is what motivated me was to try to find a way. And then Gary and I worked together. He was interested in, in seeing a growth and benefit and, you know, boatyard parking lots, motel rooms, dinners, you know, all the stuff anglers do. But, but, uh, but I wanted to turn that into a business plan and make that change and find a way to have a format and the way it was filmed and presented. That's the key deal. What we had done in the past is is what we had done in the past. It got us all to where we were, but it did not sh- really show who these people were and and what they went through in a day. It was more about the story of the event. You'd see one or two catches, and you'd see a winner with a bunch of you know fish on stage, but you didn't really know that there was that difference. And there and also a small portion of the population knew that. So my dream was for it to become, or, or, or we were willing to give it the, the, the gold college try, 
to, to make it become more of a mainstream sport where more people could see it. I knew it would take great investment. So it was going to take a business model that would generate revenue to allow us to introduce the sport uh, to outside of our core audience. And we have invested for the whole 10 year time period, the majority of the profit this company has made to buy CBS network airtime. You know, you know, we run third and fourth quarter on discovery, obviously with our partnership with KSE, um, with sportsman channel and outdoor channel, we have those endemic locations that we need to have for our core audience. But then also taking live stream to a new level. If you've watched any of the Major League Fishing Live, we're doing things at a television network level and not at the old fishing level, so to speak. Right. Uh, right. And that and that's a long-term business plan, and the purpose is completely different from what an FLW or a bass had done in the past. And that's not to say anything negative about what FLW or bass ever did. They put on tournaments. They they stayed focused on the core audience. They stayed focused on trying to make it as good for those pro anglers as they could. But it it was 180 degrees different. Television was just a byproduct of the event. Certainly not right. a focus. And there was no money ever invested. Now, this is the key. If you want to build something, you got to invest in it. And there was no money invested to grow it outside of the core. It was entertainment for the existing audience that sits in front of you. Our business plan has always been, obviously, we want to offer this product to that existing core audience. But more importantly, we're investing in a new audience. We touch millions of people that have never seen it. Discovery Channel uh, standard demographic is probably 2% anglers or something, you know. And that's our core launch. We got two-hour shows that we're very successful with, with tremendous ratings on the Discovery Channel. So we're we're that's the part that I'm most proud of is being able to take uh, the sport and 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 you know this term has gotten been thrown around loosely a lot within our industry through the years. Growing the sport. The problem is no one ever invested to grow it, with the exception of high school. You know, but, but that's, you know, and that, and that was something and I'll get, and, uh, uh, as high school evolved, that that's the, that's probably the biggest impact that BASS created and FLW there, I guess they were pretty simultaneous in doing that. And that was a tremendous effort that was, uh, greatly successful, but those kids, uh, coming in, they, the platform that they were coming into was still the same size. It, it was not. It was not a national platform. So that's the big, big difference in what we've done at Bay to continue to expand the platform. It feels. It feels to me, and 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 hopefully, this comes across the right way, because keep in mind, uh, obviously, you know, I do a saltwater television show. I do two radio shows. I'm a saltwater guy. I do two bass shows a year because I've got an incredible resort here in Florida on some epic bass fishing lakes. And I think my viewers like to see me a little uncomfortable. And when I, when I put a bait caster, when I put a bait caster in my hand, I'm a little uncomfortable. So, and I really enjoy it. I, 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 I didn't coming from Wisconsin, walleye and perch, 
um, and ending up in Florida, you know, drenched in saltwater, catching tarpon and snook and redfish. Uh, I missed, I had a gap in my fishing world there and, and being so close to central Florida, which is such a hotbed, it's really, it's really endeared me to the sport. And again, because I've been doing so much saltwater fishing, I've gotten pretty good at it. I love to go bass fishing now because I'm not great at it and it's something I have to work at and I'm constantly learning and playing with new baits. And anyway, so, so take this from somebody who is, is really, um, again, and I have some friends on the tour and things like that, but it seems to me, and I want this to be a, a huge compliment to you because I think this is huge. And I thought they missed this on the saltwater side bad when FLW was doing saltwater tournaments it seemed to be all about the sponsors. Everything, if you made, if, if, if 125 boats fished and you made the top five, they would put you in a jersey of one of their big sponsors when the cameras would finally get on your boat. And I kept looking at them thinking, that's not the sponsor that brought me here. That's not the guy who paid me to be here. Like I have guys paying my way putting me on the tour and now the day I finally get on TV everything's come together you want me to wear a different jersey so I, I and the other thing I thought was really weird was I, I, I just it seemed to be more about the, the 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 brand than the anglers I think if you look at NASCAR NASCAR has done a great they just go in circles I mean, think about it. Mm -hmm. They just drive in circles. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And not that I'm against NASCAR or don't like it. That's not my point. My point is all they do is drive in circles. But everybody on the planet knows who Dale Earnhardt Jr. is. Um, everybody. Even if you're not a big yeah. race fan, you know who yeah. Dale Earnhardt Jr. is. Everything I see on Major League Fishing Boyd, all of the – the social media stuff that pours in, and, and I do follow it, but I still, I keep seeing the anglers out front here. To me, it seems like you guys are doing a great job letting the country know about these anglers and who they are, and that they're a part of Major League Fishing. I think Major League Fishing still gets a bunch of love. I think the sponsors still get a bunch of love, but I think it's getting people more in tune with the drivers, if you will, just like NASCAR has done, putting those anglers out front. I think it, it to me, it seems like it's better for the, for the anglers, the, the competitors in the field, because I think they're getting more love from major league fishing than they were before. And again, just like you, I'm not taking anything away from, you know, VASS or, or FLW. Uh, obviously, you know, guys made a living fishing the tour. You know, that's all good. But I think you guys are doing a great job letting the country, the people that maybe don't know the personalities that well, get to know the personalities. Was that part of the plan? Absolutely. That's a, I appreciate that observation because um, that has been a core from the beginning. That you know what makes uh, what makes the PGA big and successful are the players. Right. It's the right. fact that in a lot of people in this country play golf, but the reason you people watch it is because you have humans that can do what you can't do. You, you, that's the, that's the draw. That's the draw <laughs> to professional sports. I mean, let's face it. We've all, we've all played, but we can't shoot 67s. 
legitimately, <laughs> especially from the right. tips. Okay. Right. <laughs> and right. it's amazing to watch. Well, one of the early goals I remember uh, when first trying to sell this, we needed a media partner and going to then to outdoor channel and then CEO, Roger Warner, uh, uh, principal owner and CEO of outdoor channel and trying to put this business deal together. I remember talking about just that. It's not about, it's not, uh, if you're going to build a sport and people are going to watch it, they have to know who the players are and our sport legitimately, we don't have to create this. I know this. Okay. A lot of the nation doesn't know this, but I know this and you know this. The difference between Van Damme and your neighbor that has a bass boat is the same difference between your neighbor that has a set of clubs and Tiger Woods. Right. It's the same difference. And the world doesn't know that. So showcasing their abilities, putting them in a position like we do with, you know, in the cups with no practice and, and, uh, you know, and every fish counts where you can't be saved by a big one. I mean, it's a much, much, much harder, uh, format, uh, because you're never comfortable. You can never catch enough now, now gone, you know, to the big fish process with our uh, variable minimum weight, you know, two pound minimum, you know, may see a three pound minimum. I mean, we're, we're having to catch giants to even score now, <laughs> you know, right. and, but, but to showcase the ability and let people see that, that's what would, that's what builds our sport because there oh, is the per, that the, per, the, per, the personality. I mean, you know, um, Bobby and Chris Lane, two great examples. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Bobby and I have become friends. Bobby has an incredible personality. If you're around that yeah. guy for any, he it's just a unique personality. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Chris has a little bit of a different personality, but I think people want to get to know those personalities. And I think that's how they fall in. Like, why does a guy pick to wear, if he goes to the race or he sits down on Saturday in his man cave to watch the race, drink a couple of cold beers, whatever, how, why did he decide to wear Dale Earnhardt, jer, you know, shirt? Why is he wearing a yep. Dale Earnhardt Jr. hat? Because he's he's following Dale Earnhardt's personality. He's he's he relates to that guy. It's it's your favorite football team. It's your favorite baseball team. It's your favorite player. It's your favorite golfer. It's the same thing I think needed to happen in fishing. And I think it's awesome that you did it. I said it for years on the saltwater side. They don't know us. They don't know us. They have, and, and they're so, again, it, it, just like anything else, there's a ton of different personalities, a lot of crazy out there. So I think that that was brilliant on your part. I really do. I, I see that as such a coup for you guys. Um, you know, fishing is the number one participation sport in the country. More people fish than play golf and tennis combined. Mm-hmm. So you have the audience, the audience exists. It's whether or not somebody was going to be willing to let people get to know the players. And I think ever since I started following it, it, to me, that's been a real difference maker for me. That's why I like it so much, just getting to know the players. So I commend you for that because I think that was a great vision. I really do. Thank you. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff for sure. So – 
let's I think we should talk on on the growth I think you know when you talk about investing in it and all that um, you know what why did you buy why, why did you guys go and purchase FLW what was the what was the thought process behind that? well and that's a great question because it, it didn't appear to have to be necessary but part of the also part of the long-term plan uh, to grow the professional level to grow the audience, to bring new participants into our sport, least case scenario, make the world aware of our sport for the value of the highest level. You also have to share this new, uh, this, this new movement with the rest of the world at, at various levels. Uh, obviously the, uh, the FLW organization being the largest by far of any of us, you know, they, you know, one of the, one of the numbers that blew me away, I, I worked on that acquisition for 10 months, uh, starting last, you know, not this past winter, winter previous to, but one of the things that blew me away was in 2019, they had over 15,000 unique participants. Now, now we're, we'll beat that in 20 because our participation levels are up. I don't know what the final number will be, but that's a phenomenally large organization people fishing, that's individuals fishing your events. So we wanted this to be high school to college, to BFL, to Toyota series, pro circuit series, obviously what you see in major league fishing with those levels, we felt like for the sport to grow in that direction, you have to make it available for everybody. So that's, that's the general purpose for that acquisition. They were the perfect company uh, for us to acquire what we didn't have, which was that association with all the grassroots levels. And, and, the, and the long-term dream is obvious. Uh, it, it's so that we can offer this catch and release format, uh, the, you know, uh, the uh, environmental impact, conservation impact, ultimately, uh, you know, when you catch weight release and, and I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, we all, we all did what we did and nobody's done sure. anything wrong, by the way, that's not right. to say what's happened in the past is wrong. It's just, we can do it better. So right. we should. And, uh, and, and it makes it so that as we bring more people into our sport, it doesn't have a negative impact on our fisheries and the conservation of our fisheries. So that I thought that was very important. It's also a much more exciting format to participate in. The world doesn't know that. No one's done this but us. So, so over time, you will see this made available to, to all of those other le- levels. And if it's like all of us, um, you know, we, it's just a much more fun and exciting way to tournament fish. So, so that, that was the purpose. It's the rest of the organization without having to build it all organically. Uh, and right. over time with some technology increases, uh, you know, we, we have some things we're working on that will allow it to move to those other levels. So it's, uh, it's exciting, man. Uh, I, you know what? I, I mean, you got me excited just sitting here. Um, just talking to you, major, <laughs> major, major league fishing.com. There's great information. I was all over that, uh, that site there's really some some great information there also ducketfishing.com baits rods reels you name it boyd ducket has his fingers on it boyd i think that the future of bass fishing uh is in really great hands uh, you um 
you know, in the 45, 50 minutes, uh, I've been blessed to have your time here today. Uh, just blow me away. Uh, your, your vision, your constant drive, your energy, um, I think is, is going to really serve the bass community. Well, I hope that everyone uh, realizes that loves fish and realizes how lucky we are to have you as a part of the sport. Um, I'm really, really impressed, uh, just blown away. Congratulations on all your success. Um, you know, you got a big fan here, Real Animals Nation down here in Florida. Uh, I'm a big fan for sure. If there's ever anything we can do to help you, you know, please let me know. Um, we'll get information out for you, anything you need there with the radio shows and all that stuff. Um, thanks for spending a little time with us today. I really appreciate it. Great podcast. So much fun. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it too. I appreciate the questions and uh, same for you. You know, one of the cool things about our sport, freshwater, saltwater, and totally is there is a ton of unity. You know, all of us that fish are brothers tied together somehow. And, uh, and it's fun to do things like this and, and to have someone interested enough to, uh, to have you on the show, uh, your fans, it's spreading the world, the word, you know, nationally, there's a lot of great people uh, there's a lot of things you can do that probably make more money than your podcast does. <laughs> okay. But, <laughs> yeah, but, no but the fact that you love the sport and love to be part of the sport, that's what drives me every day. I mean, it's not an economically driven deal. And that's one of the cool things about our sport is the passion for it. So me and you and all the rest of us like us, that's what makes our sport cool. There's no doubt about it. Great, uh, great job today, Boyd. And uh, I look forward to talking to you in the future, my friend. Again, thank you so much for your time today. This will be a great podcast. And uh, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Anytime. Look forward to it. Hey, gang. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Real Animals Podcast. Boyd Duckett, certainly an interesting, interesting guy. I would say that the world of bass fishing is in great hands uh, with a great mind like Boyd Duckett leading this thing Major League Fishing just uh, incredible success story and I think the way it sounds that Boyd has great plans to make it even bigger and better I certainly hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you remember the Real Animals podcasts are presented by Contender Boats and they're available on Apple Podcasts Stitcher TuneIn Google Play and ritampabay.com. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. And if there's anybody out there that you'd be interested in hearing me do a podcast with, reach out to me, direct message me on our social media outlets. You can reach me at uh, Facebook slash Real Animals or on the Instagram page at Real Animals TV. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you. I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out RadioInfluence.com 
to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. Radio Influence.